This episode is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne. Decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. Hi, and thanks for joining me again on the Move Me podcast. I'm Julie Reynolds. Today, it's another rewind. Back in 2018, I caught up with one of the most fascinating people, Adam Thompson. He is a real surprise package. Now, everyone knows him to be the really out there and wild frontman for Aussie Rockers Chocolate Starfish, but there is way more to this man. And he was so open and candid when talking about coping with a family tragedy as a very young man. We talked about learning to express himself through music and how he now takes what he learns and helps others from Aboriginal communities to CEOs of major corporations to do the same. Sitting with him, I had so many wow moments. I'm sure you will too. So here's Adam Thompson. Yay, wish I had a round of applause. Don't make me applaud for myself. (laughs) Yay me. (laughs) I saw you, you were part of the Red Hot Summer Tour, touring around with Susie Quattro, The Angels, Screaming Jets. Who else was on that bill? Moving Pictures. Baby Animals. Baby Animals, of course, Mm -hmm. and yourself. It was the first time I heard some tracks off Spider. Mm. And the one song that really captured me was, is it Big Dog? Bad Dog. Bad Dog. Bad Dog. Wow, that captured you, did it? I think because you would know more than anybody else. Music always means something different to everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, sure does. So you could, I could hear a song, you could hear a song, and we have two different interpretations of it. But Mm. my interpretation of that song, was you were saying, hey, bullies, get lost. We're not going to take it anymore. And people tell you to ignore a bully. Well, that's not going to happen here because I'm a big bully. That's bad exactly doctor. right. Yeah. No, it, when I say that's not, it's not the intention when I wrote it. But as soon as it was down on paper, then it made absolute sense to be that. And I've had that, that rationale for it way more than any other. It's just got enough sass to say, don't push it. Very much so. You dance to the beat of your own drum. Or my own skirt or my own kilt. Or your own kilt, which I have seen, or your fancy pants sequined pants. (laughs) Exactly right. So... uh and maybe not when you're in a band, but let's say pre-band, mm. when you were just Adam Thompson, that yep. kid who is at high school, mm. yep. you still would have been this guy. Sort of makes people a bit of a target when they stand out and they're a bit different. Yeah, look, it certainly does. And and that's been my life. And it, it, I never thought that I was um, ostentatious as a young person. <laughs> you but just thought I, it was normal. This is what you do. Well, I did, exactly. I do remember times being at odds about whether this is the right thing to do. And in fact, I was born in a country town, so in a really small country town. So it's in the Goulburn Valley of Victoria. Yeah. And uh, so I was about 30 kilometres out of Shepparton. My primary school at the time had 11 kids in it. Not in my grade, in the whole in school. In the whole school. Yeah. One teacher. <laughs> One teacher, yeah, exactly. I think I taught the class half the time, actually. (laughs) But, yeah, because I didn't have a lot of role models or parallels at the time. And so I made them up and, uh, you know, had a lot of imaginary friends. When I say I had imaginary friends, I I guess I uh, created a lot of scenarios rather than actual people. So I created a lot of... Well, I guess this is going to sound quite (laughs) weird. I guess, yeah, a a lot of situations where I could be other people. Right. Yeah. So, and so it was no surprise that I got into drama at high school. And around about that very first year of high school, I lost my mum. That was also another rationale why I role played and, and 
I guess, diverted away from reality. How old were you? Twelve. Twelve. That's very young. Do you have siblings? Yeah, so I have a, a brother and then I had a sister as well and she passed two years later oh, from a completely different thing. So teenage years for me were a whirlwind of trying to work out what the hell this life is throwing at you. So I was motherless, which is one of the songs off our second album. And then my sister passed, so my dad was not coping real well. He had to look after a farm by a himself. A uh, couple of kids. He then married out of convenience really quickly because he needed a, oh, you know, a lady. farmer wants a wife <laughs> kind of thing to help look after the kids. So it was a it was a really confronting time. So as much as I was really desperate to leave town and, and find myself, I was also pretty scared because everything that I'd ever thought was normal was falling apart. But I found it through music. And I guess that's the um, that was the pivotal thing at first year at uni that I found music. What were you studying? Drama, yeah, and journalism. <laughs> so I could have been the other side of the mic. <laughs> well, you interview me. There you go. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So uh, anyway, I'll get to that later. And it was literally during the first uh, semester break at, at uni in Geelong that I saw an ad that said Singer Wanted. And I thought, oh, well, I, I auditioned for the high school production. Didn't get in, but uh, I thought, well, maybe it'll be Elvis Presley songs at a wedding and I'll sing a few and make 50 bucks at a wedding. And this guy said, no, no, I'm actually a songwriter, but I can't sing and I need someone to write lyrics and interpret my music. Would you do it? And I was just about to say, mate, it's probably not me. I've never, <laughs> I've never really done it. And he said, look, I've spent a hundred bucks on the ad and you're the only person who's auditioned. Would you mind doing something with me today? I turned up, wrote a song with him, quit uni the next week and within 10 years had an ARIA award. There you go. See, things come to you when yeah. they're supposed to. But you have to be prepared to embrace yes, them. Yes, you've got to be open to it. Well, it's the fear that stops most people. It's the fear of, uh, of the unknown. That could be a relationship. That could be a new change of job. It could be overseas travel. It could be anything. Uh, and But people, because if they don't know the outcome and they fear they'll be judged on it, and that's even worse today with socials, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, I've had a platform for 25, 30 years, but... A lot of people have never had a platform outside their family. And didn't know, don't know how to use it. It's like becoming rich super quick. Absolutely. You don't know what to do with it. You, you don't know what to do with it. How did you cope with that, Having suddenly having a platform to be able to express yourself lyrically? Yeah, well, I think that was all of a sudden, that was the cathartic outpouring place that I, that I need. And I didn't realise, I guess like most people, I had a few confidants and once they were bored with listening to you, you sort of internalised yeah. most things. And the cathartic outpouring that music allowed me, particularly when I was meandering with melodies, I'd back in the day have a little, you know, handheld dictaphone and I'd, <laughs> and I'd start just, colleague would give me a bunch of music, I'd start meandering lyrics and, and melody over it, just scatting and I'd play it back and, and all of a sudden I'd become my own psychologist going, what the hell are you even saying here? What is that? <laughs> wow. I've never heard you use that word. I'd be saying this to myself. And then if I stopped to think about it, I'd, I'd understand that it was a, a phobia, a fear, a, a latent regret, whatever it might be. And so it became a really uh, awesome way to self-diagnose what I was feeling and then flesh that out into a full-blown song. Chocolate Starfish, when Adam Thompson's on stage, he can't look anywhere else. A, he's probably wearing a kilt and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or anything. Or anything. Uh, you're a very brave man on stage. Yeah. You give the audience a lot more sometimes than we give back and then we start giving back more, which is That's a, a really, fantastic you know way what? to That's do it. That's a really interesting observation because often I've beat myself up inside going, hang on, why am I giving 200% here? 
this has been the hardest thing for me as an entertainer. Sometimes I've got to accept that that's where they're at tonight. But that's really hard for me to accept because I just want us all as an audience to go to a higher place. Correct. And I I consider myself as part of that mix. I can only give what I can give, but I always rationale this, that most people want to have the best time, but they just don't know how to. Someone like you says, I'm just going to give you permission, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. Yes. And as soon as you turn that key and you say, okay, everybody, it's on, you're allowed to, that's when you get a sea of 10,000 people. Hands in the air, and like we did at that at that Manham show you yeah. spoke about. You know, I think I had and, like, and all around Australia, oh, all around. So I had seven thousand people arm in arm doing like a soccer jump, which we which we nicknamed the Spider Jump after the album. But like to get everyone from the front to the back doing that is a pretty amazing thing. But to do it repetitively week after week, that obviously means you're reaching people. I think that's why people love live music so much because mm. they can go and they can feel that music. Good times. There's but- incredible power in it, Julie. Yeah. You know, like there is, and as they say uh, on the Batman movies, you can use that power for good or for evil. Yeah. That power is, uh, is it's incredible and it, it, and it can be quite overwhelming. In fact, on the very first Red Hot Summer we did about five years ago with Jimmy Barnes and a few other back then, that was just after uh, Zorro and our guitarist passed away. Yes, and I wasn't sad. ready for that. I mean, I was putting out for it, but I wasn't ready for it to come back. So it was like, how do I keep doing this? How do I keep that level of response going, and it was hard. must mm. be very hard to keep it going but repel it at the same time. That's a lot of pressure for you, Adam Thompson, but you it did is. it well. Well, I did until I had a bit of a meltdown to take some time off and understand did I really want to do this again and did I – because in the last 10 years I've been doing completely different things. I've been using music as a tool for self-development in schools and, and corporate companies called Muso Magic. so that's nothing about me and all about others. So there, regardless, there's a certain amount of, I guess, ego you have to take onto stage uh, when you're an entertainer, even if you don't want to. There's a certain amount of you that you have to bear. And when I do my workshops with others, I'm asking them to do it. And so probably, again, like you are saying before, it's probably not too different, but the difference is that there's an expectation when you're doing a team engagement exercise that, that you're asking the audience to, to bear right? Yep. It's not that expectation when you pay a $100 ticket and go to a concert, right? You're expected to be, all right, entertain me. Then all of a sudden, you're an audience member going, hang on, I'm just as much a part of this. I'm in the show. <laughs> you know, if I'm on my mobile phone, there's quite a chance that this guy from Starfish could come out and steal, gy- it. <laughs> steal it, gyrate. I had this thing, and I don't, don't know whether I did it um, at Manham, but I did this thing <laughs> on the Red Hot Summer where I started sharing hats, and I would take it off one person's head, put it on another, then take that one and put it on another. So all of a sudden, there was like 50 hats that were in multiple places around the audience, where I'd be walking, and they had to then, after our show, find their hat. G'day, mate. Can I have my hat back? Yeah, great. G'day, mate. Ripper. Hope you I know it. you gave it to John over there, but John gave it to Mary, and he was wearing a really nice, you know, blousy type one. And anyway, it's great fun. It is fun, and that's what live music is all about. And you've taken your sabbatical, you've taken time off, had a mm. good long chat with yourself, yeah. and thought to yourself, I can't help but do this because I'm Adam Thompson and this is what I'm born to do. Yeah. Uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, so it's not all beer and Skittles. I love how she just you know, <laughs> integrates those little one-liners for the songs. Isn't it wonderful? Well, don't you love music? How great is music, right? I, I, should, I should have given that. you a little. I should have given you three song titles or oh, three lyrics. Come on, do it to try and inter- do it. interject to see if you know where they come from. Oh, let's okay. Let's a quiz. go. So, um, oh, now I'm going to have to think about this while all we right. keep talking. All right, uh, we can take a pause. Uh, 
All right, now more. Uh, let's go. Let's go back mm. more, more to you. So okay. I want to talk about Spider. Ten tracks. On All killers, the... no fillers. Yeah. That's what I'm <laughs> well, saying. Well, I'd like to think so. I guess like our very first album, I've had a good. Geez, I mean, since since the Box album, which was the second Starfish one, I've had a good twelve, fifteen years to contemplate some of these and and that much life experience as well, which is what the first one had. So uh, I think that it represents how I feel about life now, lyrically, which is completely different from the way I felt about it as a 26-year-old writing the first Chocolate Starfish album. It does have that tongue-in-cheek style. Which is a, a bit of a calling card for you guys. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Bad Dog is a great example exactly. of, of that. If you look at a song like Bullets from, from this album and it seems like it's a dance song almost, but it's actually all about trying to cope when, you know, multimedia has us facing a new war on every news service every night across the world. And the tagline is, but still we dance with bullets in the air and reflects on the fact that we're so immersed in our in our social media world and that's where we, where we often get a lot of our interaction from and we like to show we care, but do we really? And so there's a lot of questions being asked there, but to listen to the song, it's very fun still. Exactly. But there's questions of you there that if you choose to take the time to answer them to yourself. That's a little bit like Midnight Oil. The subject matter was really heavy-duty sort of stuff, but everybody was down the pub, lighter in the air, singing along. Oh, Beds Are Burning is such a great, you know, and having done a lot of workshops in the last 10 years with Aboriginal communities, Beds Are Burning is such a is such a great anthem to defend and and propel Aboriginal rights, you know. But it'd be lost on probably three quarters of the population who sing the song. And actually just sit down one day and listen, really listen to it, because a songwriter, you know, a good songwriter, spends hours contemplating the right narrative to, to affect you. Have you come up with my quiz yet? <laughs> Have I come up with the quiz? All right, which song is this from? Okay. Although Our Love Survived, I'd Dry the Tears From Your Eyes. Let's don't Let's let don't a good... good thing down. I'd never lie to you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Caught in a trap. So yes. Suspicious Minds. Okay, so there see what go. she's done there. She has to sing it. I did. To actually, uh, to bring into context. Can you narrate or sing? Ah. The, the lyrics is quiz number two. The lyrics to the chorus of our song Mountain. Nah. <laughs> All right. I'll give you a starting point. Okay. You want me to be a mountain, I'd rather be a river. Yep. Water flow. Yep. What's next? I Body know sings it. water flow can wash the tears away, which is actually not true. What is it? Water flow can wash a hill away, as in a mountain. Hill. A mountain. River. But the amount of people at a gig. So I'm watching the front three rows singing, water flow can wash our tears away. And I stopped the song once and I went, it's not, not tears, it's hill. And then they, like seriously, deers in the headlights going, that's it. That makes total sense. It's the water washing away, washing the, away hill. the hill this and eroding. It's a permanent thing, but the water's coming in <laughs> and it seems soft, but it's not because it can knock down a whole mountain. I know. Isn't it great? And it's and it's really awesome. Hey, speaking of that song, can I segue? Yes, please. We're doing a, uh, a remix of that with an Aboriginal band called Carnage in the Darkness out of Alice Springs. And yeah. They're doing a hip-hop version of Mountain. Have you heard it yet? Oh, well, I'm involved in it. Aha! Uh-huh. For a lot of young people struggling to find identity, it is so we're going to slightly change up the lyric. Am I going to be a mountain? Am I going to be a river? So, uh, and then there's going to be a whole couple of hip hop verses. That is going to be pretty awesome. You're going to take it around and let everyone hear it. Yeah, well, I'm going to. Well, then doing a, a national tour. Uh, I'm going to appear wherever I can to support them. 
what you need to do is get on to the rest of the starfish guys and go, let's do a gig in Gundagai. Yes, I know, <laughs> I right? don't know why. Oh, look what. <laughs> <laughs> look what. There's a band here playing our song. Yeah, well, I'll just jump up. I won't be a minute. How did Chocolate Starfish find each other? Now, Darren Danielson, your drummer, he's an amazing drummer. He I love is. a drummer that hits hard. Now, he hits hard, doesn't he? He does hit very hard. He's, he is an amazing drummer. He'll, he was from Roxas, wasn't he? He and the bass player, John Nixon, from our band. They were the rhythm section there. And, and Zoran, our guitarist, and I had the uh, the start of, of Chocolate Starfish and we used to get together with them after Roxas gigs and after Chocolate Starfish gigs and lament that we didn't quite have the right lineup. We were doing... I guess more experimental 90s. Then all of a sudden we realised that this was the right lineup, and yeah, we got together and there it was. You've mentioned Aboriginal communities a couple of times during the interview, so that's yeah. obviously very close to your heart. How did that happen? I went out to do a role models program in about 2000 out to Alice Springs, and there's other sports people were out there, and so I just got invited to come along and quite honestly just sing a couple of songs to the kids and to know them and I sort of said to the organisers no I think I can do better than that I think I can devise a program because it was the same year 2000 that reality TV hit with Idol and all the rest of the um... but it was all about sensationalism right yeah and for me when I looked at it you know there were kids on there that were sort of ridiculed and and you know made to feel I guess vulnerable but not in a good way like you have to be safely vulnerable. And that's what I wanted to create a program around where you could express yourself amongst others, where there, it was a safe environment and that judgment was not about measuring you in the top 10 or top 20 as a winner or a loser. You were there to contribute and learn about yourself through the process. And so you were co-writing, you are co-writing when we do this program with up to 100 other people. And you're doing things that are way outside your comfort zone. You don't have to be the best lyricist, you don't have to be the best singer, best dancer, best actor, but collaboratively, you're all inputting everything you've got today on this project. Fantastic. And that's what we learn about yourself and each other in that environment. There would have been people who are better at it or more drawn to it or it was part of who they were more Mm. so than somebody just trying to find themselves. So you're opening the door for them to move on and find out how to do it by themselves. That's right. So there are, there's definitely skills that, that people who do want to adopt it as a career or as a, as a passion. But like, there's a thing that I do lyrically with them called, I got this from the Artist's Way book by Julia Cameron. And it's a thing called the morning papers where you just unbridled write without censoring yourself. Have you ever done it? I stream don't know of conscience, if I have. Stream of conscience, basically. So in this example, um, where it's not, where it doesn't work as a thinking process, is because your brain is so quick that you'll self-judge, right? Or, and you'll, or you'll take your thought patterns elsewhere. So in this example, you will write pedestrian stuff for maybe even days, right? Then all of a sudden, you'll be in this thing, and you'll get in this stream of conscience where it makes no sense to anyone else. But the only rule is that you have to write for about 25, 30 minutes. The pen can't stop. Because as soon as the pen stops, just like that, you start thinking. You start thinking, and as soon as you start thinking, will this? If my husband reads this, will it offend him? Is this really what I want to say, or is this a language? Or am to, I this dark? Or am I really this dark? Oh my God, maybe I shouldn't write. So in this example, you have to keep writing at all costs. And it was profound to me in in year twelve, where Mum had been passed away for all my high school life, and my teacher got me to do this, and. 
I was pedestrian writing about doing the dishes and homework and just, you know, whatever other kid was doing. And then I was writing about doing the dishes one night and all of a sudden I knew I couldn't stop. That was the rules. And I was trying to honour them. And I started writing, why the hell do I have to do this tonight? What I can't, why can't I be studying? Why the F wasn't, isn't my mum here? Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden I started to cry and I thought, no, I can't stop, not let it stop. And I kept going and going and I just lambasted the fact that my mum had passed and put all this language down. And it was such a breakthrough that wasn't surprising next year when the guy asked me to write songs with him that all of a sudden I knew how to, I knew how to express without censorship. And that's what I get the people to do in the workshops. And it's a really difficult thing. But I've had corporate people, when I do it in corporates, who are on three to $400,000 who quit their job. Now, it's probably not what I'm meant to do from the company's <laughs> perspective, but it's so profound what's happened to these people. That they've gone, what am I doing? What am I doing in this space? And they have quit their jobs and they've gone to do something that's much more aligned with their holistic nature, their core, rather than just to make money or just to be what mum or dad thought I should be. Because it's terrible to do stuff just for money, isn't it? Oh, it is. And would you, would you choose to be a mus- musician or a, a performer or somebody who works in radio mm-hmm. if it's just for the money? Because... It's difficult. and that's But that's also a balance. You know, there are many creative people who have given we up We have on to that. make a living. We have to make a living. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where I guess we're going to go to a whole new conversation here, but around the purchase of music and the rights of music and stuff like that. Many young people that I work with in schools have never purchased a song in their whole life, wouldn't even know why they should. They're also not even in the workforce yet. So for them to get Justin Bieber's thing for free or, or whatever, they get another band's song for free. To work for something is still a concept that they haven't even grasped yet because they haven't had to do it. Music is everywhere in life. Even if you walk past a, a city street, there's music. You know, yep. there's some kind of rhythm. Yes. So music's everywhere. Yes. And isn't it great to have even more of a connection by buying it? Yeah, it is. And, and for me, it was actually um, Bad Out of Hell. We've covered that album head to toe and I'll give you a little analogy that was my first one I ever bought and maybe subconsciously it was the song Heaven Can Wait Having Lost Mum that resonated with me but I learnt that song top to tail and so it was easy for us to cover that when we did it the last few years at in big, some big concerts in Melbourne and, and Sydney, how the universe works in strange ways. We were signed to the same label as Meatloaf on our second album Box got to meet him and do two out of three and bad with him in Hayman Island and even more ironic, I went to his show through the record company in Melbourne in about 95 and I was backstage with all, you know, a thousand other hanger honorers. And ironically, it was his 50th birthday and his daughter brought the audience together into a big circle to commemorate Dad's 50th. Who was standing next to him? Me. Who did he put his arm around for support? Me. As a 14-year-old boy jumping off my couch singing Batter to Hell while Dad was on the farm... Could I have orchestrated that? Maybe spiritually, yes. And it came to me. It was for you. Correct. I'm actually getting quite emotional about it well, now. Well, me too. I'm, I'm joining you because that's what music is. Music is to everything that we are, I think. Yes, absolutely. Were you surprised when you played songs off the new album, Red Hot Summer Tour, you hadn't really played them to big audiences, yeah. I would imagine, that you got really great responses to songs that people didn't know? No. You thought they were they were good and people would like them? I thought they were good and people liked them, but also I think I'm a really good seller of a, of a good song, okay? I'm not a good seller of an average song, yeah. which is why 
I struggle even to do covers in our set because unless I have an emotional context to it, I find it very hard to deliver it. I can remember when we first did Mountain and it wasn't released and I had the whole crowd singing Mountain. Similarly with Bad Dog, I had, God, there, w- there would have been two or 3,000 people singing, I ain't afraid of you, straight away. Once you pick it up, you go, it's your turn, and everyone's going, great, I can sing this song, I've never heard it before. Yeah. And that's, and that's fantastic. That's a sign of a good song, but also a good live band. Very well said. And people think with bands that were big in the 80s and the 90s and even the 70s with the Angels that, oh, well, you know, you ain't going to have to play, am I ever going to see your face again? You know, that's what the people want, that's what the people want. Yes, they do. But now that we're all older and and there's nothing new being given to us, Mm. now we do want you to give us something new. I've been doing this cool thing in our encore where the song Cinderella that is off uh, Spider. I was halfway through writing this song called Cinderella and I saw this news feed come up about this girl who was having a Cinderella ball in the Gold Coast and she she was suffering from motor neuron disease and she's since passed. But I just contacted her organisation straight away and said, I'm going to finish this song and send it to you and everything you make from it, just give it to your foundation. Anyway, she since has passed away, but I do this really cool thing at at gigs now. It's it's the first encore song for the Spider Tour and I get everyone to take off one shoe and hold it in the air and I send her organisation pictures of everyone seeing put your shoes on cinderella and it's that's an emotional moment yes it is either that makes you cry or the fact that i often get somebody's shoe out of the audience fill it up with jack daniels and and drink out of it that makes people cry in a different way that makes people go this is such a beautiful moment what's he doing what is he doing he did it Give me back my shoe. Adam Thompson from Chocolate Starfish, thank you so much. Let's finish on a a group hug. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Move Me podcast. I'll put the info for Adam's Bohemian Rhapsody concert series and Chocolate Starfish info in the show notes. We're on Insta and Facebook, so give us a like or a follow and we'll do the same. And we'd love a quick rating too. Looking forward to episode four with another Rewind. A former member of Ice House, now playing with Brian Ferry and Pink Floyd, you'll hear from bass player Guy Pratt who also does a killer stand-up show too. This man has stories to tell. Listen in just for the one about Bowie. It's coming soon on the Move Me podcast.